0: Hello and welcome to Health to Wealth, a series brought to you by Accor. I'm Annie Hood. This is the podcast that shows you how wellbeing touches every part of your life.
1: Wellbeing has suddenly moved from a gender point
2: four on a board meeting minutes to to two or even one. It is mindfulness. It is cold and hot exposure. It's infrared saunas. It's ice bath. It's walking across Hampstead Heath with my little girl on my shoulders.
3: When part of us is it doing well or is infected or not nurtured then it affects our entire collective organism
2: it's all about people recognizing the new future if you don't recognize that there is a future that it is available here today how can that new future happen
0: just some of the guests you've heard from in this series of health to wealth including clinical physiologist ollie patrick elite performance coach Harry Jamieson, Sasha celestial One, co-founder of the food waste sharing app Olio, and Julian Ranger from DigiMe. Over the past 10 weeks, you've heard from thought leaders like these. They're strategists, economists, business leaders and scientists who are pushing boundaries and advancing the well-being agenda globally. Emmeline Brown is the Global Vice President for Wellbeing at Accor. Emlyn and his team have been actively working to deliver this series and in this episode you'll hear about Emlyn's takeaways from health to wealth. What impact can a transformational well-being culture have on your business? You'll find out. You'll also discover why well-being is so important to the bigger trends that shape our world and your own personal health. Emlyn, welcome.
4: Thank you, Annie.
0: Why did Accor commission this podcast series and what did you think would come out of it when you first started?
4: Well, I think that the commissioning of it was based on the ideas, probably two or three key ideas. One being that for Accor, we're, really, we're really focusing on making wellness and well-being a company imperative within our group, okay? Responding to the very clear demands from our guests, particularly in the luxury segment of hospitality, but not just spa and fitness, but a much broader delivery through food and beverage, nutrition, through technology. And so the idea of doing a podcast was a great chance for us to stimulate, capture, and also generate internal debate that helps us drive forward our strategic imperative and message. I think number two is, you know, Ackles has a reputation for being entrepreneurial and dynamic. And I think in a post-COVID landscape, the conversation piece about well-being is now much, much broader than it was before. And I think that any large company, any global company like Accor, needs to be playing a real leading role in stimulating conversation and debate and educating people around us. And so I think through the format of podcasting, it's a great way of reaching a very, very broad audience on a large number of topics um, that allows us then to stimulate that debate and at the same time receive feedback that helps us guide us in the future.
0: And many of our guests mirror exactly what you describe. One of them is Harry Jameson. Harry makes an excellent point when it comes to making the link between health and wealth. Let's hear his take on
2: that. I can testify to having worked with, on paper, some of the highest achieving, potentially most affluent people on the planet. And the one thing that triggers that group of individuals is very much the concept that when you can buy absolutely anything on the planet, the one thing you can't buy is your health. And our health is so multifaceted that just fitness is not a We're nothing without community, without love, without relationships, without our immune system. But the idea that you wanted to have greater fertility, greater energy, better sleeping habits, better cognitive function and decision-making throughout the day, coming w- with a problem of anxiety, stress, depression, IBS, these are all things that we will bang back to the fundamentals, which is when you improve all the physiology that supports everything. If you have a garden and you make the soil as fertile as it possibly can be, whatever you plant in that soil will grow better.
0: And Emlyn, I I think there's an opportunity here to make the link between health and wealth from a business perspective. How would you describe that?
4: Well, I think we drill that back to some of the statistics that we know from our own business, right? So one of the most powerful things that Accor understands, that we understand, is that four out of five of our guests, 80% of our guests globally, irrespective of demographic, age group, country, is making a daily step every day to improve their health and well-being. That's a really, really powerful statistic. Powerful in terms of the numbers of people, not just within luxury, ultra-luxury, but also in our eco and mid-scale hotels. So if you can sit there and say, four out of five of the people I'm going to see every day are improving their health in some way, mindfulness, meditation, walking, exercise, food and nutrition, we must be responding to that demand and driving that forward. And from a business perspective, if you're actually exceeding that expectation from our guests, it's both good business, it's good governance it's good support for planetary elements and becomes a virtuous circle so i think any company irrespective of its hospitality or business or whatever is placing well-being really at the forefront of what they're thinking and doing because of the absolute demand from guests and that's only accelerated ever further in in this post-covid landscape where the understanding of health is wealth has now been driven very much into the mainstream, and people have actually now taken that sort of 16, 18 months of very challenging times. But they've actually, the, the, I think, the, one of the positive outcomes is what we're seeing is very, very strong habits that have been formed that are now really much more ingrained in society. The understanding is much stronger, and the understanding that health is wealth is absolutely within the mainstream within our audience.
0: One of the key themes to come out of Health to Wealth has been just how interconnected wellness culture has become and is. Let's hear from Thierry Mallory, the founder of the Monthly Barometer on this, because he sums it up beautifully.
5: If you want to change the narrative about well-being and if you want to make it a truly holistic notion, you need to integrate the three superposed dimensions of well-being, which is individual well-being. Of course, ultimately, as individuals, this is what matters to us. But I would argue that you cannot be individually well if you live in a society that is profoundly unwell and in an environment that is equally unwell due to biodiversity loss, to, due to pollution, due to climate change, due to catastrophe of all sorts, it's impossible. You know, you could still argue that you are going to live in your own little bubble, but how, how far will your wellness take you if you do this in a bubble? We are societal animals, we live in society, so we cannot dissociate ourselves. From the well-being of, of the planet and the societal well-being of the societies in which we live and operate. The three dimensions of wellness I was uh, talking about earlier – environmental wellness, societal wellness and individual wellness – are in fact one single dimension. They are all completely interconnected, integrated, interdependent with each other.
0: I Eveline, mean, what are your thoughts on this? this? This this idea that well-being is a single dimension that pulls in all of those threads that, that Thierry's talking about.
4: I think it's absolutely prescient and correct. And I think that one of the things that I really enjoyed about Thierry's comments was talking about societal issues and planetary issues and their importance within the well being and wellness infrastructure. I've been in the industry for quite a long time, and what I've found is that wellness is always a discussion maybe about the individual. It was talked about about your own personal wellness, your own personal goal. I think now the conversation and the understanding is, again, societal well-being is vitally important. Environmental well-being, we know, is vitally important. We can't be well as individuals without wellness around us. Therefore, the conversation and the impact you're going to be having and the thoughts you're going to be having and the actions you're going to be taking are not about me, me, me about us, 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 and that I really think is really important. Because I think societal issues are really at the heart at the heart point of any future well-being philosophy. What we're also seeing, I think, within our industry, within well-being generally, is a much broader understanding of the power of community the idea of sharing the idea of sharing via social media via local sharing the idea of supporting community and the impact that has on your own personal wellness and well-being this sort of self-actualization it creates through that so i think terry tying those three things together is a really really important thing
0: thanks emlin and it's taken me back to thinking about wim Hof's episode as well he literally says health is wealth. And that's an an incredibly resonant line that I think a lot of people have been able to relate to. Yeah,
4: I think, you know, enthusiasm, passion and and drive is an inspiration for us all. And I think that with his philosophy of talking about, obviously, cold bathing therapies and the power of breath, It's such a powerful thing. It has such a massive impact on you as an individual. What I also love about women is he's actually, let's call it, democratised wellness through his philosophy. He's bringing in a much broader audience, young, old, from rich to poor, dynamic, because what he actually preaches and teaches is things you can practically do on a daily basis in your own shower, in a cold bathing area, breathing and sitting down within your own living room. That's vitally important. If we're going to be moving our society from let's call it a more curative sort of medical system to a more preventative one these are the sort of actions that we need to be taking and drawing through and particularly for our younger generation and younger people
0: what does the health to wealth series tell us about the way that governments companies and other organizations should approach the well-being of their people their employees and their other stakeholders what do you feel the key messages are for those groups emlin
4: i think that you know, for a younger generation coming through that the the idea of well-being and the support they would want to wish to receive and what should receive from their employer and their workplace has become a vital conversation. Now, not just in terms of Access to fitness, or you know, access to great food and beverage, and so on. These are all pretty standard things. We know that we're going to go through a significant change in our workplace structure, how we sit, where we are, what we do, and that's quite scary for some large companies. But I think that within, say, Accor or more forward-thinking companies, we're embracing this. I think those companies that would be embracing this post-Covid workplace will be the ones that thrive and well-being of the individual, their personal choice, how they want to work, when they want to work, where they want to be what sort of benefits they want to receive from you, it's now a much more open conversation. That's really, really a healthy place for us to be.
0: And Emlyn, what are you seeing happening within the leadership community? Because there's a lot of conversation around making workplaces better for employees. What are you observing in business chief capacity to pivot? In other words, leading from the front and really making changes to how they behave in their own work and lifestyle to be a conduit for how that filters down and ripples out across companies.
4: I think that the senior leadership is embracing this sort of new, this really new norm in terms of the working responsibility. There's a long, long way for us to go. I think that the sort of seriously entrenched ideas about what workplace well-being looks like versus what it looks like in the future is going to be very, very different, and it therefore will be a process. I think what I'm seeing is that those enlightened companies, those ones that are really making statements that, that are powerful, like Patagonia, in terms of their support for their colleagues and their support for their values, I think these are the inspirational companies that a lot of companies now are now looking at, not just within, let's call it the fashion, retail, and so on, but much more in the in more standardized industrial areas where we're seeing that, those conversations happening. Okay? And I think that's a really important thing for us to, for just to, t- to tap into. There's so much inspiration out there, um, but again, it's a process. I think that the older, more entrenched ideas are starting to fall away. What I'm seeing is senior leaders recognizing it, and not just because of the benefit of well-being, but the financial impact it has on a company. You can't not be recognizing these things because you will not attract talent, you will not retain talent if you're not putting their well-being at the forefront of every decision you make.
0: A perfect catch on this, I think, is clinical physiologist Ollie Patrick. He really sums up where the challenges are here. Let's hear his thoughts.
1: You've got to transpose wellbeing into economic benefit, you know, first and foremost. You know, I think anyone at the top of an organisation will feel a duty of care for, for their people, but they'll also be held accountable to the numbers that are recorded. It's a great challenge because it's going to be very difficult to justify spending on activities that would be perceived as more lifestyle, more well-being esque, in the face of a growing burden of cost in the health domain. I mean, we know if people move more, there's an impact on health costs. We know if people nourish better, there's an impact on health costs. We know if people sleep better, there's an impact on health costs. We know if people have a less toxic environment, be that polluted air, polluted water, cleaner food, has an impact on health. We know if we manage mindset, that has an impact on what is now the biggest cost to organisations, certainly stress and stress resilience. So we know that the, it's there, but we can't mathematically prove it in the same way as I can prove that but building a new hospital will, will impact on the healthcare of my nation. You know, when we look at the corporate well-being model, certainly within within Pillar, we know the actions and behaviors of the leadership team is, is a ripple-down effect. It's very difficult for us to put a gym into an organization, improve the eating, and improve the ability to rest and recover, if the leadership don't embed a clear model of that and make it culturally part of what goes on well-being can't be an afterthought in any healthcare strategy it has to be at the very core of it otherwise it has very limited chance of, of effectiveness
2: i
0: mean you must feel excited and inspired to be in such an influential position as you are how do you intend to grow that influence into action even more than you are already
4: well, I think I'm very fortunate. We are very fortunate within Accor that, again, the embracement and the understanding of the power of wellness and well-being, both for our colleagues but most importantly also for our guests, is, is fundamentally there. And that's been a significant piece of, of work that's happened over not just my time with the company but with, with my predecessors and so on. And um, we know also, because of the stats, and we are drilling down into the ROI. So one of the things that is really important to us is about understanding the drivers, the key drivers, about why, why wellbeing is important, what it actually brings down to us from a bottom-line perspective. And so... And Ollie makes the comment before about building facilities rather than actually building programs. That's a conversation that we've already had. You know, I'm fortunate working here in France where we've got a very strongly established well-being culture and societal support for these types of activities may be different in comparison to other countries and therefore the frame of reference for us is much different. I think that, you know, moving forward, For me, it's always about fundamentals and not fads. It's about tackling the big things that really impact an individual's health and well-being. Teaching them systems to help deal with stress is probably my number one priority. If we look at the ways that our life is accelerating and expanding in terms of stress, in terms of creating grit building resilience as individuals this is going to be a really important skill and it is a skill that can be taught i think we need to be looking at at, i would say a a new operating system you know ways that we can operate as individuals and humans in order to tackle the speed of societal change of of fear change around us of use of technology around us in a much better way because i think what's happening now is not going to cannot continue in its current format therefore teaching individuals about those fundamental techniques of breath work about cold therapy about movement about steps about the ideas of of nutritional eating really gives them the foundation to be and to thrive in this more modern and fast-paced world and so again for me it's about going back to back principles and basics these principles and ideas of how we are as human beings how we support our own well-being are thousands of years old you go back to Ayurvedic principles, traditional Chinese medicine, this is discussions that people were having. And therefore, bringing them back to the fore in a more relevant and constructive way in a modern context is probably the best way we want to move forward. But most importantly, it's about that everyone can do this. Everyone can take a step on a daily basis to improve their health and well-being. And there's an abundant amount of choices about how you want to achieve that. And I think that's where the encouragement comes. It's about really making it as simple as possible for as many people as possible to embrace well-being to support their own health and their own wealth.
0: What do you think is going to actually happen, Emlyn? What I'm thinking is how is well-being going to evolve on a cross-industry basis over the next five years, especially from a business perspective, what's actually going to change, do you think?
4: Well, I think that probably two or three primary factors and I think any successful company, any company that wants to be in, into the future has a very very clear well-being strategy for for their guests and also for their colleagues that's number one and it's absolutely up front and center so what we're seeing is things like CSR ESG investment as being front and center in terms of a corporate governance point of view the third pillar of that from a corporate governance point of view would be the well-being of your people and the well-being of your guests or your customer right and I think those three things together they all interlap interlap and interact with one another but that'll be a very very strong piece that that will come about I think secondly, you know, what we're going to find is maybe from a more personal perspective, is that the access to data and we'll talk about that probably a little bit later on but the physical data that that we can generate from an individual's health and well-being will become an important conversation piece between a company and between the individual about their current stress level about their current dietary needs about their current ways of work working and operating and we can then sort of tone up and tone down some of the work and the responsibilities in order to help manage that if you think about how we're treating athletes now you know we're we're managing their data a lot in order to optimize performance wondering whether using the data we have for individuals we can also use that to optimize performance subject you know to them accepting that sharing of information between one another right um but i think that you know what's going to happen is a much more stimulating conversation about well-being health the wealth is a starting point i think for that where larger companies particularly within hospitality are talking about the well-being of their workforce and their people i can only say within hospitality i do believe there's going to be significant change in how we operate, uh, deliver, and to service in hotels. Because, again, we need to create a working environment that's attracting talent. And I know Accor is making significant steps to change the operating model of how we're doing that in order to future-proof our business.
0: One of the things that health to wealth has set out to do is to pull together lots of different threads that are seemingly disparate in nature initially. But, but Health to Wealth has brought that together. And I know that that has been picked up upon already. And there was something that I know that came to you that um, that you wanted to touch on with regard to the intelligence economy and how that has been epitomized through Health to Wealth.
4: Yeah, we've been very fortunate to get some exceptional feedback in terms of our approach for this. It's really about taking a macro look and bringing together these different subjects to create a new understanding of how and why they're interconnected. I think Ali Burns of Village Capital really brought it home for me. She's deeply invested in the ideas of equity when it comes to investment. You might ask the question, what has venture capital got to do with well-being? Thierry Mallory talks very clearly about the idea of well-being and wellness within the world around us. How can we be truly well when society's not well, when the planet's not well, where equity is still an issue? These are all interconnected elements, and that to me is what the intelligence economy is all about.
0: One of the things you just mentioned, Emlyn, was about equality and equitable opportunity. And Ali Burns, the CEO of Village Capital, makes a really important point that relates to this. I think there's a lesson here for the corporate world too. Let's have a little listen back to Ali's thoughts on what the world would look like if we saw equitable opportunity for everyone.
3: If we were able to uncover the ideas that exist and support the Growth of those ideas that exist where people are experiencing true pain points, I think we live in a world that's better for everyone. I'm a big believer that entrepreneurship is one of the important paths to solving big societal problems. Certainly, business is not the only answer. We absolutely need government, philanthropy, and other players, uh, but entrepreneurship can play a much bigger role in innovating around our big social problems. But if we're not getting capital to people with lived experience and people in places with lived experience, we have a big problem. I think we really are on the precipice of a real disruption and shift to focusing on the problems that matter to all of us um, and not just a subset of the population.
0: Ali Burns is really stewarding this trend in venture capital beautifully. And another theme running through Health to Wealth is about the future of tech. What role does technology play in the future of well being, do you think, Emily?
4: I think from a well being perspective, it's a very, very exciting place for us to be. I think within the sort of wellness delivery element, the advancements happening in terms of technology use. Uh, for beauty services wellness services, etc. is an exciting place right because it moves us more away from a Let's call it invasive to a non-invasive to an age-well thought process rather than a previous look young thought process That's a healthy thing. I think secondly the most important thing for me is data The access to data we have in our own health and well-being is actually quite phenomenal You've got all the information that you need to share with practitioners, to share with doctors, with specialists, to really be able to take full control of your health and your wellness. You can measure the nutritional value of your shopping cart. You can understand your steps. You can understand what your heart rate, your resting heart rate. Most importantly, your sleep analysis. That's going to help us live better, live longer have a better lifestyle, be able to prioritize things like my family, my community, my friendships in a better way with a very solid knowledge that the data I'm receiving, personal data I'm receiving, is there for me to to measure, match, and, and move those things forward. That's really powerful. We haven't really linked those things together yet. It's quite fascinating for me that we have all these tracking devices and the information doesn't seem to really go anywhere. The next step for me will be about sharing that information with people that can really support us to live better, longer, healthier, and happier lives. I think that, you know, when Manuel was talking, Manuel Munez, we talking about the, the ideas of the advancements of AI and the economy that's happened there. creates a lot of fear in people. But I don't think we should fear that. I think we should actually be embracing that because I think there's two things that are going to happen. One will be that the idea of technology will actually create opportunity and therefore upskilling and understanding and keeping fresh and up-to-date will actually create jobs. The second one will be what I call the empathy economy. So the idea of human interaction will never, ever disappear and go away. And those people that want to want to be involved in that empathy economy, and I think hospitality is a great example of the empathy economy, or wellness is a great example of the empathy economy, will always have a career that can take them possibly around the world, engaging and supporting individuals and communities. And so you've got these two sort of splits. One moving more towards a sort of service, empathy, individualized economy, personalization of human interaction. The other one being the embracement of, of AI, technology and well-being. And that's going to be a really important place for us to be. It's very, very exciting.
0: Yes, and you can hear more about the future of technology in, as you've mentioned, the episode with Manuel Maniz. His episode is called Turning the Digital Tide. One of the things that Manuel endorsed was that the future of well-being would be driven by technology, but defined by humanity. What would you say to that, Emlyn, with regard not only to hospitality, but indeed, every other industry going, where there is people, there
4: is well-being? Yeah, I would 100% agree. I think, again, The opportunity we have with embracing of technology within the wellness landscape is to spend more time with people, right? It reduces down all the things we don't need to be doing and allows us to spend more time with individuals and people. And that's how we should think about it. Not as being a replacement, but being as an absolute significant support for enhancing the personalization, enhancing the individualization, enhancing the time, and allow us to be much more present with those individuals. The challenge we have right now is the technology is, is distracting us and it's not supporting us. So we're going to move away from this idea of distraction to support and then, then on to actually being hyper-focused, right? And I think that's where the, probably right now for me the challenge is both on the personal context but also what I see around me, you know. Um, when we can get over that, I think we will get over that. The opportunities for us to use that technology in a, a response, what we call responsible digital, right, is really, really exciting within the wellness landscape.
0: Mm, agree. Emmanuel also talked about the science of anticipation. I'd never heard that phrase before, but it's incredibly relevant for our leadership today, not just in companies, but in governments as well, and being able to really step into the future. Historically, we've always gone on patterns of the past, but now we're at a stage where it's, it's been very difficult to predict what's ahead. And erring back to the points we were making earlier about leadership, you are in a such a critical position within ACOR to support your peer group at the top of the company, to be in an optimised health position, to be able to step into that science of anticipation Mm. from a perspective of really optimal health. If I may too, in answer to that, that, um, you know, having lots of data everywhere, Julian Ranger aggregates that data through his platform of DigiMe. And Let's talk about measuring well-being. You heard Ollie earlier discussing some of the challenges that exist when it comes to being accountable to the numbers. I Emily, mean, what are your thoughts on the challenges that exist around measuring well-being and perhaps how we use data and the breakthrough technologies we've got to be able to solve those
4: issues? That's a really good question. I think there's probably two parts to that. I think one is, how do you measure the the power of well-being from a financial return perspective, an ROI perspective? And then how can you use and measure well-being on a personal individual perspective? What are the opportunities for using that data in a more constructive way? Let's start with the the second one. I think that in terms of the personal data, again, it's all there, it's all available. There's probably more power on my Apple Watch than launched the first Apollo space rocket by 15 times, right? Um, But what's not happening is within, if I go to the doctor, they're not saying to me, well, show me your Apple Watch. What's happening in terms of your data? That's a natural step that needs to take place. If I'm going into a spa and wellbeing space or a destination spa, why am I not saying to myself, give me your 14 days, your 30 days of tracking, let's see what's really going on with you, right? It's such a massive step forward. In terms of the conversation I have, when I arrive to that location, I'm immediately going into the care and the and actual self-care that's needed rather than going through a barrage of tests and, and re- repeat conversations. It staggers me that that's not actually taking place. And I think it will naturally take place, particularly when we see things like telemedicine, right, which is obviously a conversation piece we've already had, where you will be sharing that data in a responsible way with professionals and therefore you can really cut to the chase about let's get down to the nitty-gritty about how we can improve your health and well-being rather than going through a significant barrage of diagnostics that for me is exciting because what it's actually doing is physically moving us away from a curative process to a preventative process and with the use of technology and that access to that that conversation is going to accelerate that's only an exciting thing When it comes down to the well-being for ROI, you know, we had that challenge within wellness, within hospitality for a number of years. Owners, developers, operators, GMs would say, well, you know, I do these programs, what do I get back? Okay. And I think that the classical ROI calculation is important. It's the pounds and pence, the EBITDA, the washdown, all those wonderful things we talk about. But ROI now as a conversation is much broader. There is a financial element to it, but there was a much bigger dynamic to it. We touched on one area that we know, four out of five of my guests coming in the door every day are improving their health and well-being. It's a fact. One of the things we picked up from ourselves within Accor our was that our most surprised, delighted, and highly referring guests, those that rode on TripAdvisor and, and posted and talked to friends, the, the number one group were those that actually were inspired and touched through wellness during their stay on a property. So again, you're putting in those systems and those ideas of wellness activity, your outcome there is significant word of mouth referral. And we know that in this day and age, that that element of referral, that trusted referral from an individual has got significant value. The third point was, if you look at social media, the way we're actually buying and purchasing elements of wellness and well-being, that the aspirational element driven by social media is vitally important over eight and a half million individual conversations about wellness taking place online each month any company that wants to have roi is tapping into that super powerful figure i think the last thing to understand from let's roi conversation is the absolute unique element that wellness and well-being brings to any company because you have two factors you have the push factor and what i call the pull factor the push factor is We have societal stress, we have concerns, we have environmental concerns, we have individual family stress that's pushing us to make choices to improve our health and wealth. Then we have the highly aspirational elements of well-being, the aspiration of doing yoga on a beach in Goa, seeing that sort of inspirational image on social media, the highly attractive imagery that's being used all across advertising, drawing us to a more aspirational, healthy white lifestyle. And I can't think of any real current movement that has those two strong, significant push and pulls. And so those four things together, combine them together, plus the pounds and pence return, that's the ROI of well-being. That's not just within hospitality, Ooh. but it's actually across all different industries.
0: And isn't it also, Emlyn, the transformational culture that Health to Wealth is also talking about. You know, you're you're talking about ROI, and that different lens that you're describing so eloquently is very much about a transformative wellbeing culture, isn't it?
4: Yeah, correct. I think that, you know, that's where I think that the conversation should be happening in terms of what is the power of wellness, what is the power of wellbeing, why is it so vitally important? Because the idea of creating transformation both in your company but also within an individual is so powerful, And why would any company not want to be embracing, supporting people, transforming to a healthier way of living? Because they will never, ever forget that experience or forget that sentiment or forget that outcome. And in any experiential economy, for me, and I'm biased, very, very biased in terms of well-being, Annie, there's nothing more experiential than wellness. There's nothing more experiential than exercise and movement. There's nothing more community-driven. Than fitness experiences meditation yoga, yoga experiences that create community, elevate your wellness, educate you all in one go now that 's a really, really powerful thing that I think any company should be should be embracing
0: I totally agree, and if I may, what you 've done and are doing with health to wealth is epitomizing that shift through individual societal community global trends, macro predictions, and you've packaged it up in what you're calling health to wealth, pulling all of those threads together. It's telemedicine. It's technology. It's global affairs. It's economists weighing in. It's Wim Hof um, with his breathwork and his his absolutely grassroots approach of well-being is for everyone. It doesn't need to cost you a penny. You can do this what's really inspired you from commissioning this series Emlyn, and hearing about the collective thoughts of our guests some of which i've just i've just touched on and described
4: well i mean firstly I, I couldn't have been more thankful for the reactions we received from every one of our individuals that have spoken on the podcast and i've probably drawn something from everybody you know and i'm still dissecting and understanding it One of the key moments for me was from Sasa Celestial One from the food waste sharing app Olio. Let's see what she's got to say.
3: So if we take a look at the macro picture, we've got 40% or more of the world's food that's produced never being eaten, which is a colossal drain on resources. And has um, accounts for nearly 10% of global carbon emissions. So it's a very, very large part of the climate emergency that we're facing is driven by inefficiencies in our food supply chain and the food that goes to waste. And then if we sort of dial it right back down to the individual level, here in the U.K., 71% of food waste takes place in our homes and that's everyday people like you and I who are throwing away a quarter of our weekly shop. And most of it, it's not waste. We say waste, but that's misleading. It's food that we haven't gotten around to eating or that we're just, um, for whatever reason, we aren't going to make sure it is eaten in time and it's edible at the time that it's thrown away. And when you multiply that by, I don't know, 25 million households in the UK times the whole world, you can see how all of the math stacks up.
0: Those figures are staggering, aren't they?
4: Yeah, I have to say from the overall series that's probably one of the most powerful pieces for me on a personal level that really hit home that the individual responsibility that we have that i have in order to reduce that, uh, is really much in my hands and by by you know her bringing this down to such a bring this down to that that really individual and, and simple statistic to understand i think it's very very powerful and there's one thing that i would love to see that that any change takes place from anyone listening to these podcasts would be that you know in, in terms of the impact that they can have as individuals on this this stimulates individuals any individual to improve their health through Wim Hof practice or through Harry and Ollie's thought process, or as, as Thierry Mallet said, going for a walk in the forest, that's a great step forward. What we're wanting to do is shine a light on what's happening currently and what our thoughts are for the future and what the opportunities are. And I think the overall message I'm seeing here is there's a lot to be positive about in terms of the opportunities we have for significant change. Change within our health healthcare system, change within individuals adopting more preventative practice, But the most important message for me and the one that my team and I really wanted to drive home was the idea of democratizing wellness conversation. And moving it away from a sort of one or 5 percent I have to be on a yoga retreat costing $25,000 a month in order to be well, that's not the case. The case is about going for the walk, doing 10,000 steps, doing that sort of 0-5K to 5K with, the, with the NHS, which is a fantastic app, talking about food waste and how I can impact my society, and then having conversations, open conversations about data, readily accessible to everybody everyone can breathe and everyone can do a cold shower if we end on that note i think that's a fantastic sentiment to close off our discussion today
0: Emin thank you for rounding up the health to wealth by aqua series so beautifully thank
4: you my pleasure thank you annie
0: and thank you for listening to health to wealth please rate review and follow because health to wealth will be back in the meantime you can find out more about all of our guests and the upcoming Health to Wealth white paper at Health to Wealth by Accor.com.